Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Today we'll be covering Hadith 8 and we'll be following the general format where we do the preparation beforehand, we do the reading beforehand, and then we show up ready to discuss. So what I want to do is to start off with a short reminder, just to touch upon a few of the points mentioned within this chapter. Uh, hadith A and its commentary is between pages 91 and 103. And then after a few minutes on that, then I would uh, love to open it up for discussion. As a general recommendation, um, I sent the idea earlier in the chat that if someone, when doing the reading, it can help to highlight even one specific thing or one gem that they want to share and then to come with that ready that can often uh, help when it comes to contributing for the discussion inshallah okay so i'll read through the hadith and then go from there uh, hadith 8 the world and the heart the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam came out while we were talking about poverty and expressing fears about it and he said is it poverty that you fear i swear by the one who has my soul in his hand the bounties of this world will be poured upon you so much that the heart of one of you would not go astray except because of it. I swear by Allah, I have left you on the likeness of the white path. Its night is no different than its day. So this has to do um, with, so we've talked about it before, time, not time, sorry. Money, wealth has its time and place, and this hadith is more of a precautionary hadith as it relates to the temptation that can come in connection with it. So it's not necessarily a prohibition as it relates to making money in and of itself. It's the main concern there is what kind of effect will it have on someone? Will it lead to destruction? Will it lead to um, something positive? It So the the precautionary measures have more so to do with how do we interact with with wealth if it happens to come our way the the first point that i want to touch upon has to is on page 92 the ayah in surah al-baqarah when allah says the devil threatens you with poverty and commands you to commit sin but allah promises you forgiveness from him and bounties and allah is all-encompassing and knowing what's interesting is that this phrase that shaitan promises you poverty is mentioned once within the quran um, but we find many, many times in the Qur'an, Allah's promise. So it mentions that shaitan promises you poverty. That phrase is mentioned once in the Qur'an. But Allah's promise of forgiveness, of uh, a fadl, of favor, of his bounty, of his generosity is many, 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 is found many, many times in the Qur'an. So it's kind of a note to self that, okay, who's promising what? And then how does that affect me? No one is saying, actually in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Isra, Allah mentions that you're not supposed to go and just give everything that you have. You shouldn't go to that extreme. There's one exception in Abu Bakr that has a very specific context when the, the Muslim community was being threatened uh, in its entirety in Medina. In that specific context, that, that specific person, Abu Bakr, stepped up in that way and he was prepared to deal with any challenges or hardship that may have come afterwards. That's something specific for him. But 
generally speaking. In Surah Isra, Allah mentions that you shouldn't you shouldn't give too much because then you're going to end up regretting it. The the safest path is as usual found in the middle to not give too much, to not give too little. Allah says in Surah Furqan, uh, praising Ibadul Rahman that they don't spend too much, they don't spend too little. That they're they they hover in between. So they give, they give their zakah, they value calculating and giving it. They also value giving extra if they can, ideally consistently, even if it's small. But it's it's not supposed to be uh, one extreme or the other. So here Allah is telling us that shaitan promises two things: poverty and commands you to commit sin. So so there are two things in connection with shaitan. And then with Allah, the two things that are mentioned in connection with Him, Allah promises you, so Shaitan promises you poverty, think of that as A, and then the A in connection with Allah, Allah promises you forgiveness. And then for Shaitan, the B, He commands you to commit sin. The B for Allah is that Allah promises bounty, Allah promises uh, favor favor from Him. And th- this ayah is in a is part of a somewhat bigger passage in Surah Baqarah when Allah mentions that when it comes to giving, you shouldn't give like the worst of what you have. And then, it, and if you were to to be on the receiving end, then you wouldn't accept it, except that you would hate it, that you would feel disgusted by it. Uh, and then, so that's, I think the ayah before this, and then the ayah after this, Allah mentions that he gives wisdom to whoever he wills, and whoever has been given wisdom has been given a lot of good. So it requires wisdom to understand the value of of giving sadaqah. So that, that ties in with this hadith because the Prophet is mentioning a warning in connection with um, becoming more distant from Allah as a result of wealth when the heart is not monitored when it's uh, received. So again, there, there were... There were some very wealthy Sahaba, some very wealthy companions, especially Abdurrahman ibn Hawf, Sayyidina Uthman. We've mentioned this before, but how did they respond? How did um, how did they deal with that test? It is poverty is a test, and wealth is a test as well. So after the Hadith, this was the first point that I wanted to mention, and then the second one um, is closer to the end. Okay, here. This is closer to the end on page 102. Uh, there's a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ in which he said, What I fear most for you is a man who read the Qur'an, and when the Qur'an's beauty is seen on him, and he becomes a champion of Islam, he casts it off and puts it behind his back and attacks his neighbor with the sword and accuses him of apostasy. I said, O Messenger of Allah, Who is more worthy of apostasy, the accused or the accuser? He replied, the accuser. Actually, um, so it's translated as apostasy. The the Arabic mentions the term shirk, which would lead to apostasy. But technically what what it mentions is shirk, that a person, they will... Um, read the Qur'an, and when the Qur'an's beauty uh, is seen on him, 
it could be in his face. It could be uh, otherwise. He accused. Then he accuses his neighbor of shirk. And and then I think it was it Hudayfa, and then uh, the Sahabi, the companion, asked him. I think it, was, it doesn't mention here. I think it was Hudayfa. Uh, he asked the Prophet, "Okay, so this person spent a lot of time with Quran. The beauty of it was seen on him, especially in his face. But then he accused his neighbor of shirk. And so he asked the Prophet, "Who is more worthy of that accusation?" The accused or the accuser, and the prophet said, uh, "The accuser." So it, it it ties in with the, the dangers of religious fanaticism. The person can spend so much time with Quran, but then if they become like arrogant and if they go around pointing the finger, I mean, this is a very stern warning from the prophet that this person they end up so they become arrogant, they become. Uh, self-righteous to the point where they're actually willing to not only accuse their neighbor but to actually attack them, to actually uh, kill them because of what they're accusing them of. And the Prophet places that accusation on the one accusing, so on the arrogant self-righteous person who in their mind they're doing something religious and something righteous but the Prophet is making it very clear that that's not necessarily the case. He put himself in the position of God to mm -hmm. say that, that he has a right to say these things. Mm -hmm. These people are back. And really that's the last stuff. Yeah, and it, it's a it's a it's a very, very serious accusation if someone is going to go and accuse someone of shirk. I mean, that is a major like major statement to say. There's another hadith from the Prophet in which he said that. If someone accuses someone of kufr, of disbelief, and it, if it's not true, then it falls back on them. So it, it becomes true. It's true for one of them. If it's not true of the person they're pointing the finger at, then, I mean, it's a serious warning. Then it falls back on you, so it's not a small thing. At the end of the day, how much of it really uh, affects you, how much of it concerns you, and how how can you offer some kind of medicine in whatever whatever situation um, so the, these are the i know there's there's a lot more there's um, some really insightful information in between uh, a good short example on page 96 uh, there's a hadith from the prophet he said i looked into heaven and found that most of its inhabitants were the poor Subhanallah. I mean, we, we don't know who the friends of Allah are. It won't make it easy for us to interact with the blessings that He's given us in ways that are positive, in healthy ways that bring us closer to Him. And may Allah protect us from any of the blessings that He's given us being means for us to uh, distance ourselves further from Him. And any thoughts, any reflections from anyone regarding anything mentioned within this chapter? <laughs> You have a lot? Go ahead, what do you want to... Well, Uncle what the one that you just said, that he looked into heaven and found um, that most of its inhabitants were the poor. Mm -hmm. And I like where it also says that poverty is also a fitna, mm -hmm. but that um, wealth is one too, but that those who are wealthy are going to be questioned 
for about their wealth, its source, its expenditure, and um, the one who has more will be questioned more. Mm -hmm. And how I also like how it said the poor will enter heaven 500 years before the rich do, or mm -hmm. the equivalent of half a day. Just mm -hmm. is a reminder of like this life time span in comparison to the next, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and then. Like what you have in this life and how far along it would be in the next mm -hmm. time span that it would be. Mm -hmm. anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. That the poor would enter heaven 500 years before the rich. Yeah, so which page is that on? Just so. Uh, 97. Okay, 97. Just so yeah so um, so you you were tying that in with the the difference in time between this life and time, the next so yeah, and then also well that the time part was just um a reminder to myself of like the time span that we have in this life and we feel like days go by so fast or maybe 80 years is a lot of years it feels like you know to live a long life that many years but really mm -hmm. the next life it's hundreds more mm -hmm. in just a half a day that the time was just a reminder to myself for the, like the time span that we have in this life mm -hmm. not really relating it to riches and, and poverty mm -hmm. but um and there is still that, even though that's not what you're highlighting specifically, it's still connected, right? So even if someone, and it doesn't mean that we go and throw ourselves into abject poverty, but if someone is struggling, this hadith can help them to, it brightens the light at the end of the tunnel and mm -hmm. to think and feel that, okay, maximum, however many years are lived in this life, even if it's with poverty, even if it's with struggle, um, there, there ends up being so much more blessing on the other side of things. So even if they struggled, we'll just say 70, 80 years, then the the benefit is multiplied in terms of them entering Jannah earlier because of um, because of their situation. So from these couple pages, what I really got was that. Being tested with wealth is a lot harder mm -hmm. than being tested with poverty. Mm -hmm. um, so if poverty is hard, you know, the people who go through it face a lot of difficulties and struggles. But what really is the greatest and fiercest test was written here is to be tested with wealth. Mm -hmm. And then it said here, this is why the Prophet Islam urged his Ummah and recommended it to be content with what satis uh, with what satisfies its need from this world and not indulge in the new damaging effects of wealth. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, hadith here too where it says every people will have a source of temptation and the source of temptation for my people is money. Yeah, on page 96. Yeah, so yeah. it seemed like it's more of a struggle to be rich and to still have a strong being and gratitude and, and reminder of Allah. Mm -hmm. and you're very affluent mm -hmm. and it, uh, right and a concept that we keep going back to humility 
right? How many people they they may attain wealth or whatever status or blessing is humility going to remain? How are they going, if they were struggling and then their situation drastically improved, at that point, how are they going to treat people who are now in the same situation that they used to be in? So if they used to, I'll, I'll give a simple modern day example. If someone, let's say they're struggling and they're working, they're working two, three different jobs, and maybe one of them is to work uh, in valet parking. And there are a lot of wealthy people they're dealing with and they're observing who treats them well, who doesn't, who tips them well, who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And maybe they make the intention that if I ever end up on the other side of this situation where I'm bringing my fancy car for someone else to take care of the valet parking, I'm going to make my intention from now that I'm going to treat them in a certain way. I'm going to tip them in a certain way. Uh, and I'm going to treat them as a human being with humility as opposed to with arrogance. So let's say the tables turn and then years later they end up you know, very successful financially, for example, then the test for them becomes how are they going to treat people in general, but especially for those who are struggling now, just like they used to struggle. Mm -hmm. The same concepts should apply and can apply uh, as it relates to spirituality, as it relates to level of practice or religiosity. If someone is struggling and then they find themselves gravitating closer to Allah and practicing more, for example, how are they going to treat people who may be struggling now how they used to struggle? Are they going to treat them with humility? Or are they going to treat them? Oftentimes, the end result, unfortunately, is, is arrogance. People, they start to look down on people who may not be doing what they're doing now, forgetting where they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And one, one thought that um, I think is always worth keeping in mind for, for myself and for anyone here is if there's the intention of wanting to get through to someone, say, who's 15 or 16. Okay, when I was 15 or 16, what would have worked and what wouldn't have worked? People are going to be different, but if someone is whatever age and they want to treat that teenager how they would how they would want to be treated at the age of 30, 40, 50, then it's not going to work. You have to treat someone based on where they are, not based on where you are uh, necessarily. Mm -hmm. and to allow them time to grow and breathe and develop oftentimes that point is missed where people they may okay end up practicing more but if they overlook that extremely important concept of humility then they the reality is they end up pushing themselves further away from Allah and they also end up pushing other people away from Allah in the process so they may mm -hmm. think that oh I'm praying and Quran and fasting and this and that in and of itself, those things are good. Um, but if what what's the fruit? If the fruit is I'm going to go and, you know, stick it to people. I'm going to go and, you know, bother people, give them a hard time. Oh, where are you? How come I don't see you in the message anymore? How come this? How come that? It's like, hold on, take a step back. Instead of asking, where have you been? Ask, how have you been? One time I asked an uncle, Randomly, like after Jama one day, oh, so I can, you know, Uncle, good to see you. How have you been? He said, oh, I actually had a heart attack two weeks ago, and I almost died. I was in the hospital, and I just got out recently. It's like, subhanAllah, that's, I was just, where have you been? How, I almost died. Where have you been? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. It's like, yeah, can't we prevent the damage as opposed to just flinging the damage out there? And then, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. It's like. 
people don't owe us an explanation if they had a heart attack or not. Some people may be going through whatever. And like there just has to be that humility and compassion, uh, that kindness. It's like so, what helps to prevent these things from really affecting your heart mm -hmm. is to be to practice gratitude and humility in the in the moment that you are in right now. Mm -hmm. Like so that when you are tested with a lot of money, wealth, you have practiced a lot of gratitude and humility already. Mm -hmm. when, like in the point where you were before you got mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So once you do have that, you already have it set and going. It helps to keep the momentum, I guess, mm -hmm. versus not having practiced that mm -hmm. beforehand, kind of going with the flow of things and, and rushing to try to make wealth. And then once it happens, you, you don't have a ground to stand on. It's going to easily affect your heart. Mm -hmm. And maybe a difficult time that someone is going through. Maybe it's a type of training from Allah, knowing that eventually things are going to improve, but maybe it's a type of training for them. So that way later on when things improve, like that training <laughs> stays with them, yeah. like they're ready, yeah, they're, they're prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, Jazakul Khair for sharing. Anyone else? Any thoughts that anyone? Go ahead, Ariba. <clears throat> this is reminding me of a conversation I had with a friend like two or three days ago, um, where we were talking about the fact that the Prophet them, had so much influence and therefore access to wealth and power that it is a miracle in itself that he did not abuse that power. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the miracles of the Prophet Muhammad. Because it, I mean, you see it happen all the time, right? Like people, like as soon as they start to get fame or money, they start to change. Mm -hmm. There's actually even studies that show that I think like the more power someone has, like there's like a correlation between more power and less empathy. Mm -hmm. um, there's studies that have proved that. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like such a part of human nature. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. <laughs> May Allah protect us from ever I mean, abusing I mean, power. Um, we're in those positions. But um so just the fact that the Prophet never, you know, did that, that in itself is a miracle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, regarding both people, like he didn't yeah. take advantage of people. Yeah. And then also regarding wealth, he didn't abuse the access to that wealth. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Like that is one of the miracles of the Prophet. And that shouldn't be overlooked. That's actually really That's significant. Huge, yeah, it's like, yeah. When you just look at people, like you mm -hmm. see this all the time, right? Like as soon mm -hmm. as they get fame, power, mm -hmm. money, they start changing mm -hmm. more often than I mean, yeah, you see mm -hmm. it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So it's really it's, it's it's honestly terrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it scares me a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like mm -hmm. why why is it like that? Mm -hmm. How is psychology like that? And it has like Mm -hmm. well, g given your background in psychology, <laughs> what what would you recommend or what are some thoughts that come to mind for prevention or if someone does find themselves, you know, in a situation where maybe things are opening up for them, what can be a potential antidote or, yeah. having knowledge of power dynamics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I don't know. I'm probably just like, I think this might just differ from person to person, um, but I think you can set up things in your routine that will that ground you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the salah in itself. Grounding is a is really a good word. Form yeah. of submission, right? And mm-hmm. so reminding yourself where it's coming from every time you're spending your well being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, feeling the influence that you have, like reminding yourself where it's coming from, um, giving it or like leveraging your power or influence mm-hmm. for good things. Maybe mm-hmm. having it like set up in your life where yeah, it's a part of your routine, essentially. Or also visiting mm-hmm. places where people are in need, um, if yeah, it's yeah. an orphanage, for example, yeah. or a hospital, or spending time with those who it's may have less or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. living below yeah. like below your means because mm-hmm. that's a trap too like once you start spending mm-hmm. <laughs> according to the amount you have then you're just kind of stuck in it it's like really easy to get caught up in it mm-hmm. or you're just like you're stuck there like if you wanted to i don't know switch to a job where you're getting paid less now you have a mortgage that requires you to earn that much money or like whatever mm-hmm. that looks like so then you're kind of stuck so spending below your means mm-hmm. I think there's also a good so way. Yeah, if I spend this much on a booty bag, I gotta spend this much on charity. <laughs> that yeah, did that come up in in hard therapy before? Like if you do, like if you if you buy something, you mean consider buying something equivalent to charity, or spending that equivalent on charity. So as if it is, I believe, a Tom bag, then yeah. go ahead. It's part of the etiquette of charity. So instead of grounding your whole thing, mm-hmm. give something either equivalent to you or the equivalent value of you. Mm-hmm. Um, like cash. Or even talk about that. Because through cash, then an organization, for example, they can buy brand new things yeah. for people and get them good yeah. quality food. Yeah. yeah. Or like, you know, a food. Mm-hmm. Like a food, food bank yeah. is not going to take you, mm-hmm. but they will take the money to buy food. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 yeah. So, conceptually, that that's a good idea if someone has some kind of formula. Okay, if I'm gonna whether it's if they can afford to give an equal amount or if they can give a percentage of an amount or something some to have some kind of system set up that system in and of itself ties in with prevention it can also be grounding in a way where if someone they get i don't know a bonus for example and it's like oh wow great there's this you know blessing that has come my way okay i think i want to you know, get this, or I think I want to do that. If there's already a habit or a routine in place, ideally there'd be some kind of monthly um, donation to any organization, even if it's small. Kind of where it's ideally things can get to a point where that's occurring, even if someone forgets about it. Uh, if someone is you know, struggling, then they're not going to forget about it. But if they can keep literally even a dollar a month, five, ten bucks a month towards any good cause um, to have that going already. And then also to have like maybe a one-time thing. If someone is like, hey, 
I've really wanted to get this Louis bag. How how much would it roughly cost? Like three thousand. So let's say they get a, I don't know. Let's say someone they get an awesome bonus. I'll just throw out a number. They get a bonus of like twenty thirty k, and if they're like, okay, I want to spend this much on on that bag, then maybe they can give an equal amount if it's easy for them in charity. That can kind of balance things out. Technically, the the explicit <clears throat> expectation, excuse me, <coughs> economically in Islam is zakah. Thank God for water. I should give a donation to help with <laughs> water water wells overseas somewhere. So how One of the best things you could donate is Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. It is uh, I mean there there's a hadith from the Prophet praising like the best charity that you can give is uh, is water. When a man came to the prophet and asked him about doing a good deed to benefit his mother who passed away his the one thing he recommended was to dig a well in her name and say it's it's for her that way anyone who uses i mean we need water we need water for everything for drinking for cooking for cleaning for wudu, for our lives to be functional we need water every step of the way so if there are numerous people benefiting from that water on a daily basis it's actually a really smart uh, recommendation from So that's why, like, after Noel's dad passed away, I love mercy on him. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to raise some money for wells in his name. I will accept it. Mm-hmm. Any, other, any other thoughts or reflections from anyone regarding anything within this chapter? Or along the lines of the topic? Maybe this is just a, a reminder of how we can intention. Mm-hmm. Intention, yeah. So, you know, if you're faced with kind of all of your love, um, you know, what, what, what's in the uh, and how you go about living your life, mm-hmm. whether it's what you have a love or not. So, um, just, you know, remembering where it's coming from mm-hmm. um, and why you, you know, are pursuing well, um, and those pursuits are, you know, uh, are deeply intended. So mm-hmm. spending on your, your family, your loved ones, but also spending on others um, who you may not know. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it's on, if you're spending on someone you don't know, it's impossible, generally speaking, for there to be strings attached. You're giving to help people just for the sake of helping people. Hopefully that's also the case, you know, regarding those close to you, whether it's family or friends. Sometimes there are no strings attached. Sometimes, I mean, it's annoying if you do end up finding out that there are strings attached. That's kind of its own its own discussion. Huh? Yeah, it's like, well, it's not really charity if you're, yeah, <laughs> if you're expecting something in return in direct correlation um, but there there is that 
process of purification, right? If you give to help people with their basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, education, <clears throat> and you don't know them, you're not expecting anything in return, you're doing it just for the sake of Allah. And we talked about Abu Bakr before, right? And how he would free different slaves, especially Binan. And Allah mentions that he was doing that only sincerely for for the sake of Allah. SubhanAllah. Assalamu alaikum. Okay, please. Do you want us to, to get it for you? When you're done, you can take a look. MashaAllah. For the education center and, and the youth center? MashaAllah. Yeah, that's. That is exciting. We, alhamdulillah, we interviewed people today for the teaching positions for the education center. Alhamdulillah, we already identified the first position for the tutor. And we're still working on the English. for everything for facilitating many of these things and no she's asking when Sooner than later, I have to ask him for updates on specifics. Thank you guys for coming early. What was it two, three weeks ago? For those of you who could to take a look at the space and offer any ideas, and especially for Ahmed to reach out to his friend and for her to offer the three D model of things, that was pretty cool. So, Alhamdulillah, I will bless all of you guys for the time, for the effort, for your contributions, and just for your du'as especially. And I love bless all of you for that. And I love bless, I love bless these spaces. Um, it's such a blessing that things are coming together uh, in general, and especially so quickly and even beautifully. Like that space is uh, 
it's a good size, it's for a good cause, and it's going to, I think, be a game changer for a lot of, especially refugees in the area, inshallah. So we'll figure things out one step at a time. I think um, the option one, as soon as those locations are ready, would I'd have to follow up with it, but probably the education center because there's a bigger space and then they're going to have a bunch of, think of like these tables, but I think this size, probably like 20 of them, 20 or 30 of them, was like desks, individual desks for people. So they have, somehow they have connections for getting these tables or desks and then also the uh, these chairs at like a really, really discounted price, mashallah. Um, so I think that would probably be option one in the education center, the bigger space. And then we just, we'd have to see how things pan out for the youth center. Would we prefer to meet in there? I don't know, we'll see. We shall see, we shall. Going back to the, circling back to the topic. See, actually we can't rent those spaces without money. <laughs> so there's a, a need for, money's a tool. It's actually one scholar compared, <laughs> compared uh, money to the restroom. Right? You use it when you need it. Otherwise, <laughs> nothing right home about. <laughs> Just move on. So, um, Eddie, I think were were you sharing something? I'm good. I'm fine. Okay, yeah. you're, you're good. You shared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any anything else that anyone wants to touch upon regarding this? Um, maybe towards the end we can save a little pocket of time. Maybe like. 15 minutes or so for general Q&A, just because a lot of the time there are some really good questions. We can just save the broader Q&A for the last probably 15 minutes or so. Yeah, this sure. was, it was a bit tangential, um, but like the popular last hadith, you know, I was listening to the lecture series, mm -hmm. and this lecture series about the firsts, uh, and I got the um, Zubair bin mm -hmm. um, and so the just the hadith, this, the, the, this hadith that talks about, um, you know, I, there's the accuser who, you know, he reads the Quran and he sheds off, he sheds, he sheds it off and pulls out a sword and kills his neighbor, mm -hmm. um, or accuses him of apostasy. Um, and I listened to the story of Men Nakhman or and like. It just reminded me of the times of Fitan, mm -hmm. um, like like the times of tri tribulation, um, after the death of Papa like especially during the Khalifa of Uthman uh, and um, Ali and Allah. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it just blew my mind that like we're talking about um, like these are companions who are like alive and like existing, and there's people who are accusing Uthman of being. Um, you know, like the the, the story of Uthman was like they were going around, and they, they were telling they were, they, were, they were saying like, oh, you know, Uthman didn't fight in the desert. Uh, yeah, and then, which is so and it's like so stupid. Yeah, it's like he, it's like it's like, uh, and then you know, Uthman wasn't at um, uh, he wasn't at Hudaybiyah. Yeah, the and it's the, like, and, the and like they, they were using yeah. that as their justification to to basically um, rile up. Um, rival people against his Khalifa and like this and to be And you know, Ahmed was the first to be killed by people who said that he was the first Khalifa to be killed by 
the Muslims. Mm. Um, and it just, um, it's like really sad and shocking. As Zubair, he was killed as he walked away from his confrontation with Ali. Um, Mm-hmm. Like confrontation in quotes, like, um, you know, there's the battle of, um, uh, what was it called again? He was like a clip. There, there was Safin, there was Jamal. Uh, oh, Jamal. Yeah. Um, where Raisha is, is very, and, mm-hmm. uh, and um, somebody else, I can't remember who else, uh, brought, like, you know, not, not a run, but they brought people, like, to, they're basically protesting with no so, intention of it escalating yeah, to anything exactly. past that. And yeah. like, they met with Ali and they're like, you know, mm-hmm. pursue the killers of like men. And I mm-hmm. was like, I am just not right now until the situation calms itself. And they, mm-hmm. they were like, okay. And they all agreed and shook hands and walked away. And then, mm-hmm. and then the, the people of Fitna, they attacked both camps mm-hmm. at the same time to get them to attack each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and Zubayr ended up, and then after he, so it's funny, Ali Allah told, um, sorry, I'm like going off a million tangents, I know, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't speak in a straight line. <laughs> Keep <laughs> but, tangenting. Ali Allah, and like, when he met upon Zubayr during like the conflict, during the battle, um, or not, before, this was before the battle, actually, this was before the battle, he, uh, because Zubair, Zubair left before they even before they even fought, so before the, the anybody instigated the fight, mm-hmm. um, Ali pulls Zubair aside and he goes, and he reminds him of a hadith from the Prophet where the Prophet told Zubair that one day you will um, you will you will stand against Ali and you will be in the wrong. And Zubair realized what he was doing and just walked away, like mm-hmm. like he was like he felt ashamed. And he walked mm-hmm. away by himself. And some this one guy followed him. This one guy from the Khwarij followed him. I forget his name now. Um, he, but he followed him and out, out of the city. Like, they're in the desert. He's walking back home. And um, and so Zubayda turns around and he goes, what What do you want? He's like, oh, I'm just, I'm here at Sofa, like companionship. So he's like, okay. So they're walking and then eventually they stop to pray. And as soon as Zubayda says, Allah, like, well, <clears throat> the guy kills him. Mm. Um, and he leaves him for dead. And he takes his sword. And he takes his sword back to Ali, thinking that Ali will be like happy, happy that he, got that he killed normal. somebody who came about, who came to fight with him. So he tries to go, he tries to give the, the sword to Ali over one. Ali's not taking any of it. So, um, so he asks the guardsman to give the sword to Ali, to show it to him. And he's mm-hmm. like, hey, I, I, you know, this is the sword of Azubay. You'll be happy to see it. So he sees it, so he gives it to you. So the, the guard gives it, goes inside the tent, gives it to Ali, and Ali starts crying loudly. Mm. And he starts saying, he starts repeating the hadith from the Prophet, and he said, Abshir Qatil Azubayr bin Nah. Like, like, like give, give the tidings of hellfire to, to the murderer of Azubayr. So and he starts saying it loudly, so loud, that the guy, like, like the guy started, the guy freaked out, ran away, and he actually ended up killing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's like so. It's crazy that like, like all like I was listening to all of that, and I was like, it's like, like these people are living amongst people who like lived and breathed and fought and died. And fought, like, not died, but like, but like they lived. And they were they willing shed to blood die. and yeah. tears, and like they went through hell, hell, and hell on earth with the Prophet and mm-hmm. and they're out here trying to kill them. And yeah. um, so. 
the long way of what I was trying to say, sorry, um, is like, it, so it, ties in, it kind of ties in with what Riva was saying, which is like the preparation. Like how do you mentally, like, how do you, how do you prepare yourself for the trials and tribulations of this thing? And it's like, it has to begin now because you hear about the poor people who, who have the love of the dunya in their hearts. Like mm-hmm. They're poor, they have nothing, but they only love this dunya. They only love money and wealth and status, and that's what they mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. And they end, they, they're going to end up in hell because they, they have no love for the effort. And then there's the person who's, who's vastly wealthy and cares nothing for it. And, you know, and, like, and the reason I thought of Azubayr during this whole thing was because Azubayr, um, the day he was going to be killed, he told his son, um, uh, I forget which one, um, but he told he told his son, he was very long time. He told his son, he's like, I'm afraid. He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm afraid my, you know, I'm gonna die soon. Um, so please take like take care of my debts. Make sure you take care of my debts. Um, and if you have if you have any fear of taking care of any of my debts, then um, ask the Lord of Azubay to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for four years his son would during 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 um, during Hajj would stand in front of, uh, in front of the Kaaba and yell if anybody has any debts from Azubay, let me know. Um, and it's funny because when people heard that people were like were, people were also repaying the debts they had to Azubay. Mm-hmm. And after all the accounts were balanced, he ended up having I think ten million dinar, mm-hmm. like positive, because. What had happened was Azubay wasn't poor because he didn't work or anything like that. He was he they him him and Asmet, Abibaka, who was his wife, they they lived they didn't they lived frugally because everything anything they had they immediately gave away. Mm-hmm. Um, they immediately donated. Um, so when the accounts were settled and balanced, he ended up being insanely rich. But he him and as Asmet, Asmet lived longer, so she may have seen some of it, but like um Azubay, uh, didn't see any of it. Mm-hmm. Didn't see a single thing. So, um, I mean, these are the people that, like, you know, like they prepared themselves from early. And you can talk about this with in terms of wealth. You can sort of talk about this in terms of grief, in terms of anything. Like, if you're not prepared ahead of time, you're going to struggle when it's time. Like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like the access that the power, the access that money gives you to like. Just forget, even forget this, like just the sinning, just like the, the forgetfulness of Allah. Like, that's mm-hmm. like not even getting into the sin, but like you can do like halal things that just make you forget Allah's mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I talked a lot. Um, <laughs> keep going, keep going. Point, point is, yeah, point, point is, yeah, like, like it's all about preparedness. And these people, like, there's even in, even during me and Ephraim Prophet, there's people who are like. Who are around these companions glean nothing from them, and they and they actually ended up becoming evil, and they were evil, mm-hmm. and they killed, and they shed blood because they they didn't they they they, they didn't internalize anything. So we have to make sure that uh, that we're trying to like prepare ourselves in the event that like, like not in the event of any specific situation, but like in, internalize the love of Allah over everything. Hope and pray that that Allah keeps you on that. Like one of the Prophet Adis says, and was repeated to him, uh, not a dua, was, 
اللهم يا مقلب الكروب ثبت قلبي على دينك او او تيرنر اوف ذا هارتس او افرم ماي هارت اون يور اون يور فيث اند ذير از اولسو انذر حديث ريليتد تو ريليتد تو اول سبيسيفيكلي اتس ا سفيرلي لونغ انذر حديث سوري بلاك اللهم اني اعوذ بك من الهم والحزن واعوذ بك من العجز والكسل واعوذ بك من الذل والبخل وأعوذ بك من الغلط الدين وقهر الرجال. So all Allah, I seek you, I seek refuge in you um, from a number of things. But the last two, because I don't want to talk forever, uh, the last two are really relevant um, uh, from the from the overwhelmingness of death mm-hmm. and from the hatred of men, which are very applicable things. The debt component ties yeah. in beyond perfectly with this, yeah. right? Because yeah. if someone If they get into debt, I don't think it's going to be by choice, right? But if if there's a need, then there may be some kind of. I mean, hopefully it's not by choice and it's out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to be out of debt, there has to be, a, however much income is needed to make sure it's to be on, you know, the other side of that line, basically. Yeah. Um, and that actually that du'a has, I think, so many points within it that are actually Imam Zayshakir. He has a A nice, I think it's like a three or four part uh, talk series on that specific dot. Each one is probably like 15 minutes or so. Uh, it's 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 really interesting. And when you look at those eight things, there are four pairs of things that the Prophet mentioned. It's it's interesting what he paired together, like hem and hazm, right? Uh, and then all the way at the end, debt and being overpowered by men. Um, when the Prophet, like we learn of that du'a from the Prophet offering that du'a as a type of medicine for a Sahabi who is struggling. So he enters the masjid and he finds uh, a companion who is there. And this is outside of prayer time, so it wasn't common for people to to be there. So he went up to him and he asked him, like, what's, you know, what's your situation? And the Sahabi, he said that I'm totally... overwhelmed with anxiety and with debt and the prophet he offered that dhikr that dua as medicine to say this in the morning say this in the evening and so that sahabi he did that and uh, he would say himself later on that allah took care of my debt and allah relieved me of my worries subhanallah so it's there i think there's a lot of insight contained within that dua um, especially I mean, all of them, but especially when you look at the first two, they're emotional, right? Hem and Hazan, one has to do with the past, one has to do with the future. Depression has to do with the past, anxiety has to do with the future, and the two are, are related. So if these concepts didn't exist, then why would the Prophet validate them, right? And to encourage, like, on a daily basis, twice a day if you can, ask Allah to protect you from these things and these things and these things. And the first two things that were mentioned were internal emotional states, hem and hazm, worry uh, and grief. It's interesting. There are so many, I think, nuances within that hadith. But what you mentioned, I actually learned about that initially from you, like over 10 years ago, I think during finals week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Ye
So having the right company, <laughs> being around the right people. And that this actually this, I want to mention a little bit something uh, in connection with what you said regarding their accusations of Sayyidina Uthman. First of all, when you look at who Uthman was, like, it, it's incredible when you look at his, how much he did for the sake of Islam and how much he gave and on multiple occasions the Prophet giving him the glad tidings of Jannah and then you have these knuckleheads coming along thinking that, you know, we know better even than the Prophet and at the end of the day they, they really don't know anything and they got themselves into a whole lot of trouble for for doing what they did the when you look at the accusations that they had against Sayyidina Uthman even later on the same type of people against Sayyidina Ali it's like beyond ridiculous even with a little bit of homework you look and you see that okay there some something else is off here like they were accusing Uthman uh, oh, he wasn't at bed because the Prophet told him, don't participate, go home and take care of your wife, my daughter, because she was deathly ill. She was so sick, she actually ended up dying the same day as the Battle of Bed. That's why he wasn't there. So it wasn't out of him, you know, not wanting to participate or he was going to, but the Prophet himself told him, no, 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 don't. Like you should go back and take care of your wife, my daughter, because of... Her condition and it was so bad that she ended up passing away that day that's one two regarding Uhud they said that oh he he was from those who fled the battlefield when uh, when there was the counterattack from Quraysh and there was all this chaos going on yeah but Allah says in the Quran that he forgave those who did that Allah himself is saying that they're pardoned for that but then these people come along wanting to play God so to speak and they're saying something yeah, different than what Allah himself. Well, that was Hude, that was Hudaybiya. That was Hudaybiya. So, so Uhud, he oh, was yeah, he yeah. was from I, those I, who. I no, no, no. That's next. Yeah. Hudaybiya, when like it, especially that one out of all of them, when Allah mentions it in the Quran in Surah Fath that. I mean, that surah was revealed because of Hudaybiyah and Allah mentions uh, The whole reason for Bay'at al-Radwan was because they were concerned because he went into Mecca. Hudaybiyah is outside of Mecca. It's a place outside of Mecca. And Quraysh wanted to meet them there um, because they, they didn't want to allow them to enter the sanctuary because then it would look extra bad if they wanted to if they wanted to harm them or, or kick them out or what have you. So they said, okay, let's try to meet them before they enter, you know, the sacred space. So they met them at this area uh, called Hudaybiyah. And Uthman, because well, Uthman, he was he was very, uh, very intelligent. He was very uh, diplomatic. He was, you know, knowledgeable, wise, sophisticated, all these things. So he went into Mecca to negotiate to talk to people who um who he who he knew and he was very well connected and there is some delay in terms of his return so they the the prophet took Beha took allegiance from them just in case they did because what if they did what if they did capture him what if they you know did kill him or something so he took that pledge from them pledge of allegiance basically that 
if it comes down to it and we have to avenge him and we have to fight, then we will. And so they took Bay'a with him. And so later on, these knuckleheads who are accusing Uthman, oh, you weren't there. That happened because he wasn't there. So like it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. And on a very just surface level, looking at what their accusations were, they they didn't hold any ground whatsoever. Yeah, they, they just they had their mind. What's your intention? Right. They had their minds made up that they wanted to cause problems, unfortunately. And uh, even though it was not valid, it was not logical, it was not historically accurate, it was just like ridiculous and foolish. Unfortunately, some people, they um, they may have that approach. A similar, there are similarities between that and what happened with Sayyidina Ali uh, when there was the, um, what's it called? The, um, what's the word? When when there were, there were issues between him and, and Muawiyah. And they each, like, appointed someone, kind of like as an ambassador to negotiate on their behalf. And so they, they figured things out, and they came to a settlement. And okay, that both sides were content, both sides were happy with the terms. But the knuckleheads, the Khawarij, these rebels, they just subhanAllah, they they're Muslim, but they. They it didn't sit well with them that a peace agreement had been reached. They need the chaos, they need the anarchy, they thrive off of that, unfortunately. And so some of their accusations was, oh, how can you this is found in the debate when Abdullah bin Abbas went and, and debated with them? Um, he went and he asked them, like, what you know, what are first of all, when he he tells Sayyidina Ali, because they're related, they're family, that he wanted to go and talk to them. Sayyidina Ali said, like. I'm worried, I'm concerned for your safety. So he said that I'll, I'll go at a time when I think, you know, they, they might be a little bit tired and less riled up, which would be in the middle of the day at the time of the siesta, basically. Um, so he strategically chose that time. And then before going, he wore like a really nice outfit, basically. So he goes there as soon as he gets there. Um, they they criticize him for wearing nice clothes. They're like, oh, what, what what is this? Like, what are you wearing? He said, well, someone better than me wore something better than this regarding the Prophet when he received some really nice clothing from Bahrain and he wore it and Sahaba were walking around him like marveling at how incredibly beautiful it was. And so like, he, so they have their overzealous interpretation. He shuts them up and he asks them, okay, what, what are your concerns? And they mention one, two, and three. So he responds like with, with, very intelligent responses like they were they were saying oh so if there were these issues um you know then 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 how come uh like regarding the battles that happened basically between muslims at that time unfortunately they were saying well if if the other side was muslim then why did they fight them and if they are not muslim then why didn't they take them as prisoners of war or something uh, and they, they had some other accusations, but the the way he responded was okay, very logically, with a lot of scripture to, to back up his points. That you know, so if if our mother Aisha, if she was you know in uh, in their group, then who who among you would take basically your mother as a prisoner of war? Like 
this is an issue that happened. Yes, it was between Muslims, and that has its own uh, nuances that come with it. And they were they were accusing Sayyidina Ali of things like, "Oh, how could how could you appoint someone? Uh, how could you appoint someone to 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 mediate? Basically, you know, in al hukm illa lillah." The the, the the like the ability to decide something only belongs to Allah. So how can he, how could he appoint a representative? And Abdullah ibn Abbas responds straight from Quran in Surah Nisa. Allah mentions that if there are issues between a husband and wife, then let each of them appoint someone hakaman min ahlihi wa min ahliha. Let each of them appoint someone to basically negotiate on their behalf. If the two of them are sincere and they want to reconcile, then Allah will help them to do so. And he mentioned another ayah from Surah Ma'idah at the time of Hajj and appointing two just people to, to decide uh, something in a situation. So what's what's I think what really shines in that example to me is he's responding with Qur'an. They were reading a whole lot of Qur'an. He mentioned that when he approached their camp, he could hear them. It sounded like the buzzing of bees. And when he saw them, like they looked like they were just so tired, and they had creases and marks, you know, on their faces. And and the Prophet described them that there would be a people who they would pray so much that you would think you're telling Sahaba, you would think your prayer is little in comparison to theirs, and they would fast, and you would be little yours in comparison to theirs. And they'll read Quran, but it won't go any further than their throats, and they'll leave this religion like an arrow when it leaves uh, when it leaves the bow. So. What's interesting is those specific descriptions from the Prophet are very present. Like they're praying a lot. They Normally that'd be a time when you would sleep, especially in that climate, but they're awake and they're reading Quran and they're reading. So they're reading so much Quran, but they still have these crazy conclusions. So how much are they really benefiting from what they're reading? How much is it affecting them? How is it, it what's the fruit, right? Is it polishing their character? or not, fortunately for them. They're quoting Qur'an, but like really out of context, and Abdullah ibn Abbas responded appropriately with other verses of Qur'an within context. So it's, it's. I mean, th this hadith is so much, yeah. They didn't have the right intention, even though they're, you know, studying and reading and praying and music. It could have just been for show. And not a single one of the Sahaba were in their group. Not a single one. And after Ibn Abbas gave his, uh, they had that debate, one third of their camp like realized that, oh, what, what he's saying actually makes a lot of sense. So they left and they um, joined the mainstream Muslim group. And then there ended up being fighting between. Uh, these different groups and they were destroyed basically but that mentality unfortunately lingers until today i want to protect us from that mm -hmm. your worship the main thing you have to have is sincerity mm -hmm. you know, if you're not sincere in your worship it's going to show in your acts and your speak. Mm -hmm. and yeah they seem to have lack sincerity in mm -hmm. and even if there was because someone may think to themselves, no, I'm, I'm sincere. Okay, what's the, what's the outcome? Are they sincere? If it's not, mm -hmm. if they're not looking for solutions that will benefit, you know, trying to be like 
I think the idea is like how do you challenge how do you challenge someone's sincerity? How do you tell them you're not being sincere? Like because like someone who is not being sincere will never admit like they themselves don't recognize that they're not being sincere that they're insincere because they deluded themselves to mm-hmm. the point that they even if you they might even be sincere, but they might like sincere sincerity does not mean like does not excuse Mm-hmm. This does not justify um, illogical actions. And like, so another thing similar to this, like pre- in, in the essence of preparedness for preparing yourselves in, in the times of ease for the time of difficulty, there was the story of the woman who was crying at the grave. Um, she was a companion. She, she, she lived in the town of Falcon, as I said. And she was, cr- she was crying at the loss of someone. And the prophet, as I said, was passing by her. And mm-hmm. he says, and he tells her, Right? Be be patient. Be patient. Yeah. Uh, he, he told her to be patient. Um and she like she without looking up or looking at her, identifying who it was, she says, Get away from me. Like you don't know, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know me. Like get away. And so the prophet leaves her. And then somebody afterwards told her, You just said that to the prophet. Um, so then she like, she, she feels so awful. So she like runs up to his house and she, she goes, she goes, I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was you. I never said that. And his response to her was that, um, patience is in the moment of difficulty. The first strike. The first strike. The first strike of, um, uh, uh, of, of anger, of, or, or calamity, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's the hardest time. Like the, it, you can't. It's not. It's not. It's not patience after. But anyways, the point in that being is that, like, in that moment, she wasn't being insincere. She was grieving, but she still acted incorrectly. Now, which she corrected herself later on. She felt she felt remorseful. But like, so people like that, the people who like act, who who will weaponize the religion. Um, so a lot of times they're not trying to be evil. There's people who are generally trying to be evil. There's people who are trying, but there's a lot of them. I, I'm not gonna say like majority, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. There's a there's a non insignificant number of them who are who genuinely are doing the right thing. And that, like if their way of life, if their way, of, if their interpretation of Islam is to be laid out, life would be easy for everyone. Which of course it would be because if everyone just thinks like you, of course their life is easy. If all of us have the same thought. And it's not gonna, nothing. Yeah, it's it's going to be easy. That's not the point of life. Um, so with them, it's about it's about understanding that like 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 the idea that you could be wrong, and it's more. And at that point, it's more number one. Like like it's a sickness. It's an illness of the heart at that mm-hmm. point. And it's like you've deluded yourself into thinking that you have the answers, and that your answer is the only answer. And that there is no other answer, and then, and on top of that, it, it, it starts. It starts once you once you've set, set into that, then the the illness the illness starts to transform into okay. Well, if I can't enforce it this way, then you start to start uh, demanding, um, you know, actions like 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 corrective actions. So you can look at Iran, for example, like as a, as a as a potential example, or you could argue that's more. Just authoritarianism and not necessarily people who are like acting in good good faith or good faith But like like these people, like a lot of these players, like like you, you couldn't you, you were like that like that dude who killed a Zubay. 
he he wasn't he went to Ivy more than long and showed him his sword, thinking that he did a good thing. Like he had deluded himself to the point that he thought he did a good thing by killing one of the companions of the Fallout Sunset. Was he one of the neighbors in the Fallout in general? Or, or is that something? For, for Zubair? Yeah, I know. It's Talha and who's the second neighbor? Talha and Zubair, they're often paired. Yeah, together. it is it is Talha and Zubair. Yeah. Because yeah. the Prophet Isaac Talha and Zubair are like that. He'd say the Prophet Isaac Talha and Zubair would be his neighbors in general. That, um, uh, and so you killed one of the neighbors of the Prophet in general. Like, and he goes back to the cousin of the Prophet showing him the sword. But so like like that's the thing. So it's not it's not that they're insincere, it's that there's an illness of the heart and not like But you're not when I think of sincerity, I correlate it with humility as well. Like the lady who realized that the Prophet was the one that she spoke to in that way. Yeah. Immediately she felt regret and went yeah. to apologize. Yeah. Her act in recognizing that she was wrong, yeah. her going out of her way to go apologize yeah. is sincere. Yeah. Like she meant it from a place where it was, she humbled herself. Yeah. And there's people who, uh, like the ones who were questioning, like, um, I forgot who you mentioned that mentioned Quran ayat to mm-hmm. say, like, he said something that they, love not best. Yeah, yeah. He, he mentioned the Quran ayat and it kind of shut them down, but they mm-hmm. still were approaching with other things. Mm-hmm. Their behavior isn't sincere because it's not coming from humility. It's coming from like a pushing um you know, like it's it's a it's coming more from a um a place of pride and mm-hmm. arrogance mm-hmm. than it is humility and sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um even if someone doesn't say that that they won't recognize that they're being sincere or not. Other people can see it, mm-hmm. you know, in their behavior and how they are. It's because how they carry themselves. Is it with humility and sincerity? Because mm-hmm. to me, both of them go hand mm-hmm. in hand. Like, you can't be sincere and not have humility. You can't have humility without being sincere. Mm-hmm. So those people were coming more from a place of arrogance and entitlement and, mm-hmm. a, and a show of authority or whatever and, you know, they're looking to cause fitna and, and commotion than mm-hmm. they are to really resolve and, and study and learn and recognize the like, I mean, he's throwing, he's giving him Quran ayats and he's still, they're still coming back with other mm-hmm. things. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, some were changed, some weren't. And the ones who changed, yeah. the ones who changed had the sincerity. Because of humility. humility yeah. they, they recognize, oh, okay, like, you're right, you know. They didn't have the approach that they are absolutely 1,000% right, no matter what, period. Mm -hmm. They were willing to reflect. They were willing to recognize that, okay, actually what you're saying makes more sense than what we were thinking before. You're right, that does does take humility to be able to make that adjustment. So the the two do have to be paired. Actually, in... Uh, Ibn Jawzi's book, Tilbis Iblis, The Deception of the Devil, there's a section in there where he talks about the Khawarij specifically. And I think the term deluded, like what you mentioned, it's a really good term. Like they think they're doing good, but in reality, they're doing a whole lot of bad. I mean, that person actually thought he was doing something good by 
killings with it like an absolute coward like he waited till he started his prayer he and then he killed him himself, like huh if he truly reflected mm -hmm. you, you maybe he could see that his actions was coming from a place of i want to be named as something i want to uh i want recognition recognition maybe from that I've done, yeah or you know i i want to show this a power mm -hmm. that i have that i took out this big guy in Islam, you know. So the and, the, the face, really the recognition, yeah. True sincerity, mm -hmm. even if he it's, like mm -hmm. I said, people they themselves may not feel like they're being insincere, but everyone else can see it. Mm -hmm. Like your actions speak. So there has to be a very consistent, perpetual yeah. process of teskia, of purification of the heart, right? Ties yeah, in with this with this topic, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's cloaked in religion. It's yeah. masked in religion, but the reality is you just want to overpower someone so and have control over them. Some of these people were just born into like this family that like, like eventually lost this land. Or some people like started off Muslim and then, you know, once the wealth hit them, like we we're saying, like that sincerity, like like if, like, uh, what are you working for? What are you earning that money for? What are you like? What are you doing with your free time? What are you doing with your what are, what are you doing with your free love? Like what, like what is what is where is that going? And if you're not constantly doing that test, you're checking yourself. And, like, like starting now, you have just like. Like ten dollars in your bank account. And like, okay, I'm gonna set one off for charity. I'm gonna send two off for charity. I'm gonna send five for charity. I'm gonna skip, like, I'm gonna skip that treat myself this week, and I'll give it, I'll give it away. I'll go, I'll go for it next week or something. Like, like not, don't like, burden, don't burden yourself like, unnecessarily. Like, don't put yourself through like, in, intense stress for no, like, but. Like a little bit, like just a little, like, like like struggle a little bit for the sake of a little, like just a little, mm -hmm. like not, like like not to the point where you're gonna lose your faith and lose yourself, but 
like spin yourself out a little bit. Um, now, because, you know, if all of a sudden the floodgates open up and like Allah just gives you a bunch of wealth, um, it's, and you're, you're on, you were spending, like, like the reason, you're spending to your limit every time you, every time you're, 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 your 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 income goes up like mm -hmm. right like your salary goes up like every time mm -hmm. your salary goes up you're like okay well, how am I how am I gonna how am I gonna max it out mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. um, then you're you're doomed basically like you're you're setting yourself up for a really uphill battle mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah the idea of living within within <clears throat> your means maybe even below your means if you can afford to do so then there'll be one, they'll probably be happier, more content. Two, they'll probably be more willing to to give sadaqah to, because it's like, hey, I have what I need. I'm very thankful for this. And okay, this is taken care of. This is set aside for the kids, family, this and that. Okay, even then there's still this excess money. What can be done with it to help others? How can I do good um, with that to help and benefit other people? When you said that, it reminded me of page 93 where it says um we have we have to remind ourselves that Allah's promise that sustenance is preserved for every living being a lot of the most merciful says there is no creature on earth except that its provision is guaranteed by Allah and then down below it says um though we need to work to earn our living our efforts are only the means that unlock the provision which Allah had destined for us chasing after wealth and worrying about it does not secure more of it and it says, Allah has destined, what Allah has destined is what we will get, no more or no less. Mm -hmm. So, like, the amount of work that you put in, I mean, you're still going to be guaranteed the provision that was written for you. Mm -hmm. And it's all it is is unlocking what it was meant for you. Like, mm -hmm. there's people who go so hard trying to uh, make a living in, in some ways and that they're thinning themselves out, not knowing So if someone, if they work hard and they maintain their honesty and ethics along the way, then things are bound to open up for them. That too, that what you just said reminds me of page 94, mm -hmm. where it says, um, or actually going from 93 to 94, it says, one of the most neglected means of securing and blessing our provision, um, as we shall see in Hadith 30, but it says, when we take care of what Allah wants from us, Allah will take care of what we want from Him. And a lot of times we forget that. Yeah. Hmm. We do as much as we can for worldly wealth, not realizing that if you turn to Him, He's the source of it. Hmm. He's the one that gives. And I think that perspective ties in with how can a person maintain humility even if they have the world at their fingertips, even if they have this influx of of wealth or whatever if there's so tying in with prayer prayer is very grounding in and of itself 
for some people. It should be grounding. It should be. If someone There's is praying properly, then so what's the fruit, right? Yeah, it should right. be something that shines and shows in their character, in their generosity, how they treat people, how they interact with people. So if someone, if they are connected to that understanding that the source of the original source of this blessing is Allah. Yes, there's the effort put in. There's the attempt at trying to succeed in whatever capacity we should and we have to do that as best we can. If it does end up coming to fruition, Alhamdulillah. Like by the grace of Allah, this this did end up opening up. It did end up coming together. Things did, you know, come together in in a successful way or come or they came together nicely by the grace of Allah. Alhamdulillah. It's interesting how much can tie in with the concept of Alhamdulillah. Like, I'm thankful to Allah for this blessing. I'm praising Allah for this blessing. I mean, our prayer begins with Alhamdulillah. Our book begins with Alhamdulillah. When people enter Jannah, they say Alhamdulillah. So it's interesting how how embedded that concept of gratitude to Allah is supposed to be in our daily lives. Here's an ayat that says, and Allah says, if you are grateful, I will give you more. Mm-hmm. And if you are yeah. not grateful, you should fear mm-hmm. Then my, my punishment is severe. Yeah. SubhanAllah. So we thank Allah for his blessings. <laughs> and we 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 hope that through thanking him for his blessings, he blesses us with more. And then we respond to those blessings with gratitude. <laughs> and I mean, if you come across someone who has whatever it may be, say wealth, and they're humble, like they're incredible people to be around because it has not corrupted them. They've put in so much work to protect themselves from that negatively affecting them. And some people, you know, even become more pious as a result of that, where they look at what they have. Okay, how can I use this to to give to this cause? How can I, um, you know, use this blessing Allah has given me to help other people? And that's a sign of their humility. If they had no humility, then they would, have the response. This is a khutbah that Imam Umar Salaman he gave recently, I think maybe a month ago, where he talks about the language of a narcissist. And he quotes Iblis, uh, who else? Qarun and Fir'aun. So Iblis, his response was, Anna, I'm better than him. And then the response of Fir'aun, that to me belongs uh, this kingdom. Of, of Egypt and you know these rivers that are that are running here and then Qarun his response was that I I have all this wealth because of knowledge from me like I'm so smart that's why I have all this money like why would I thank God Qarun the third one was Qarun Qarun uh, he his story is at the end of Surah 28 Surah Qasas he was actually from Ben Israel uh, some scholars they say that he was a cousin of Prophet Musa. So he was basically corrupt and wealthy. And I mean, his whole story is really interesting and fascinating to learn from it what not to do. So within within that passage, uh, he says that, because he had, Allah mentions that the keys to his storehouses of wealth were so big that it took a number of strong men to carry the keys. So it's, it makes us think, okay, well, if that's just for the keys, then what about for the wealth and the treasures and all that? He's 
quoted as saying that I have all of this because of my knowledge, because of like my ideas. Um, and Allah mentions that he he caused the earth to swallow him and his his wealth. And so he ends up in a bad situation. May Allah protect us from that. The, the consistent theme between the three of these figures, me, 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 pure narcissism, right? I am deserving. I am entitled. Um, who is the devil, right? Who is Fir'aun? Who is Qarun? So in, they were deluded. In their minds, they thought, of course, I'm deserving of this. And of course, I'm so intelligent. And I'm so this, that, and the other. There was no humility. There was no... Um, they weren't grounded. And they became full of themselves. May Allah protect us from that. And uh, for the sake of time, we can go ahead and wrap up. I know there's the idea of having Q&A at the end because we already got to nine o'clock, we can go ahead and wrap up. Closing remarks, go ahead. But on page 98, the story, I don't know who Mujahid is. I don't know how to read that in Arabic, what's his name. But he has a story where he says there's three people that will be brought before Allah on the day of judgment a sick person, a rich person, and a slave. And Allah will say to the rich one, What stopped you from worshiping me? And he will say, you gave me too much money, and so I rebelled. And then Solomon, son of David, uh, no, no, no. Peace be upon him, yeah. Peace be upon him, will be presented in his kingship, and the rich man will be asked, were you busier than he? Or, were you busier or he? And he will say, no, he. And then Allah will say, but his responsibilities didn't stop him from worshiping me. And then the sick person will be brought, and he will be asked, will stop you from worshiping me. And he will say, Oh, Rab, you busied my body with illness. And then Job... Ayub, um, Ayub, yeah. Ayub? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. No, Job is fine. I'm just mentioning that Job is Ayub. Yeah. Um, will be presented in his hardship, and the sick man will be asked, Was your sickness greater or his? And he will say, No, his. And Allah will say, But his condition didn't stop him from worshiping me. And then the slave will be brought and will be asked, who stopped you from worshiping me? And he will say, you put over me lords who owned me. And then Yusuf will be brought, uh, will be presented in his state of slavery. And the slave will be asked, was your slavery more difficult or his? And he will say, no, his. And Allah will say, but nothing stopped him from worshiping me. That's what was really, really powerful story. Yeah. So, may Allah forgive us for any of our shortcomings. Hopefully, as long as we're trying, then Allah accepts the effort and by His mercy grants us Jannah. And go ahead and conclude. Uh, we ask Allah for the good of this life and the next. We ask Allah to grant us gratitude as it relates to the blessings that He's given us. We ask Allah to overlook any of our shortcomings. We ask Allah to make us from among the few, to make us from among the grateful. We ask Allah to increase us in beneficial knowledge and wisdom. We ask Allah to help us to apply this beneficial knowledge as best we can. We ask Allah for clean hearts. We ask Allah for pure hearts. We ask Allah to protect us from corrupted hearts. We ask Allah to protect us from diseased hearts and polluted hearts. Amin. Subhana rabbika rabbil azati amma yafsikun wa salam alhamdulillahi.